Now, I'm not really sure why I would play that intro when we are not doing anything live or with an audience or broadcasting. You do it for ease of editing. Also, it's just it forces you to actually participate in the podcast because it like triggers your brain. You you told me that you just didn't want to have to do any editing. That's true. That's another benefit it's of it. It's in the show and you just no, my, the my biggest thing is, you know, an hour and a half from now when we're done at the, or at the end, I have to remember to be ready to do the closing ones. Yeah. Which you failed at recently. <laughs> nah, just a little slow. Just just thought I would point out your flaws. Yeah. Makes me feel better. <laughs> What's new? <laughs> <clears throat> you okay? Yeah. Need a cough button? I need a uh, sign that says, yes, I coughed. No, I don't have corona. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yesterday at the soccer field, I had the windows down, and there's people all in their cars, because we're not supposed to be on the soccer field, though. Really? Outside? That's It's the game, okay? Okay. You play the game so that your kids can play their games. True. Like, uh, they set the guidelines and saying you have to wear a mask when you're at the parks, you have to wear a mask when you're on the field, you have to wear a mask when you're on the track. And we all kind of do, we do when we come and when we go, but while we're there, we just, everyone takes them off. Um, so we're all just kind of just playing the game so that the kids can do their games. Yep. Um, so anyways, I was, I, ha- I had, I swallowed wrong or something. I had this tickle in my throat and I really wanted to cough, but I was so self-conscious about sitting in my car and coughing because I, I, I just didn't want anyone to get the wrong idea about me. So yeah, it's yep. a thing. It's cough anxiety is a thing. Well, they already have the wrong idea about you, just in ways that you're not thinking. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I fought a tree last weekend and lost. <laughs> Soccer ball went under a tree, and I rushed under because it's the middle of the game. <laughs> and we were already sucking because we were playing uh, kids that were two years older than ours, and they were tall and fast. And so I was trying to help and get the ball out, and I had to dive under a tree. Well, I caught a bunch of branches on the way, and so I scraped up my entire leg. It was like bleeding like crazy. Wow. So, yeah. Did you, did you get stitches? No. No. Even if I had to, I wouldn't have, but no, I'm oh, fine. because you're so tough. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, John, um, we ha- I think we have to give some uh, some thanks to uh, Dollar Dollar Ray. Ray Deller sent us a box, like a box of... Um, is that what that is? No, that's, that's that oh. will be beer. It's not beer yet. <laughs> oh, that's from Homebrew. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's future Texas beer. Texas Brewing. Yeah. No, Ray sent us a box of uh, Degard beers. Nice. Which are these? Uh, Degard's a really good I don't see it. brewery. Well, it's at my house. I forgot them. Plus, um, I don't uh, consume any calories until uh, evening time. Oh, so, so we have to do kinda, a late recording yeah, one day. Or have to like meet up somewhere or something. Um, I also got to figure out which ones I'm willing to share with you. <laughs> That's the last time I let you take ownership of getting delivery. Oh, uh, uh, well, anyway. Uh, you laugh, but I'm, I, I know you're not joking. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, no, my, the problem will be with you is that you just don't ever get out and do anything. So I won't have an opportunity to share any beers with you. I'm trying not to get Corona. Oh, whatever. You've already had it. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the D- guard is a, um, they're in Portland. I always want to say Seattle. No, I think they're in Portland, but they're um, almost all sours, you know, and kind of mixed culture beers. Oh, cool. Yeah. Those would be interesting. Yeah. So they're generally pretty darn I, good I, stuff. I didn't like sours until a few years ago when they got popular and I started trying some. Yeah, because before that, I mean, the only, I mean, what sours were there in the United States and before, you know, five or six years ago? 
I don't know, but I know I've tried them before and didn't like them. It's definitely if you're. It's an. I, don't, I, I think don't it was an acquired it. taste. That's what it was. It was yeah. like right when they started becoming popular, I started trying them because I would get the flights and I would include one just to try it to see if I'd find one I liked. Yeah, and I'm not even sure it's fair to call it an acquired taste. It's just we're 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 so trained, at least in this country, that beer and bread and just everything is is either sweet or or plain and unoffensive. We're not, you know, we're we just we're we don't as a culture we don't have a palate that's accustomed to sour things anymore. You know, well, not mine. I mean, I grew up with sour things and spicy things and all that kind of stuff. Well, spicy is different than sour. What, what sour things are you talking about? Oh, those little packets of limon, the little salt packets with lime. You just put them on your thing. You lick those. Man, I ate those like crazy. Yeah. I swear I rotted my teeth as a kid eating and those kids, things. Like, I mean, man, one of my kids is just obsessed with all the sour candy stuff. Yeah, man. I, I feel like, I feel like it's too. adult, you know, but you give someone a sour beer and they just, they think, you know, they punch you in the face. It's like. <laughs> Um, they just, I don't know, we just were, we were trained that beer is this boring, bland, you know, pale, yellow, fuzzy f- liquid. Not fuzzy, what's the word? Um, Hazy? Yeah, no, 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 They're totally clear. I'm talking about... Watery? <laughs> um, um, just bubbly, bubbly, you know, pale, yellow liquid. That's what, that's what beer is. And, and it should have as little flavor as possible so that it's, you know, acceptable to the masses. And unless you were into Belgian beer, I mean, or I always thought beer tasted certain, like tin you know, certain German or certain Belgian beers are are um, you know just traditionally these traditional styles are, are sour. They've been around for probably hundreds of years, but mm. you know, but you know, uh, not too long ago in human history, I mean, all all beer was sour, all bread was sour. There was no such thing as bread that wasn't that didn't have a you know some acidity to it. Because we didn't. Well, that's probably what made made non sour bread so popular. It was different. It was new. Yeah. It was, Next thing you know, you have Wonder Bread. <laughs> it was a. It was a. It became a medium to flavor, not the flavor. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like tofu. It just takes on the flavor of whatever you put on it. So no, I think that this this you know sour beer thing that's happening kind of all around the world is is pretty cool because there are lots of different things you can do with sour beer. Of course, nowadays you know it seems like most of them are you know basically fruit smoothies that are, you know have a ton of mm. f- fruit puree and and lactose and vanilla and, and it's just you know it's a my child it's, it's like a child's drink just like how we've taken stouts and turned everything's got to be a mexican chocolate cake stout or a you know chocolate donut cake or stout or you know you can't taste like beer anymore that's for sure that's that's against the rules i don't, I don't want the beer to be sweet I like it to be bitter. I, I do like stouts if they kind of got that kind of coffee bitterness yeah. to it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm not too big of a fan of them being too sweet. But anyway, thanks to Ray. And uh, we've got some stickers on the way to him. We also have stickers on the way to some other people, too. Um, we've got this last, last batch printed out and have some stamps again. Oh, cool. So, um, but we still have, and I also, oh, no, you know, the thing I ran out of that was the, on my critical path mainly was um, the stickers. They, uh, I ran. I had like a stack of them here, mm-hmm. but the rest of them were just still in the the shipping box, and they were. It was at my house somewhere after I moved. I'm like, well, now I got to find out where this box is. This box <laughs> of stickers, but I found it, and they're they're over here now on the floor. Okay. So we have a bunch. We still have a ton of stickers. So, uh, dear listener, uh, if you would like stick good day sir stickers for your your laptop, your spouse's laptop, your car, or just stick it. You can just go to your favorite bar. If you if you're allowed to go there, just stick it on that wall that has all the stickers. That's another thing you can do. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I've got quite a few of them in all the bars around San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, I put a few up myself. I wonder if they're still there. They've been pasted over. I don't know. Or... Yeah, I'm not sure. But anyway, if, uh, if you like stickers, uh, we, we can send those out to you. So just send us an email at info at gooddaysirpodcast.com and just give us your address and how many stickers you want. We gotta, of course, we gotta, our, we gotta our keep... branding is not advertiser-friendly. Advertiser how do I say this? Why is that? Because it's just the name of it. It's like not like we have contact information or a URL or even anything that oh, says no. we're a podcast. I mean, the closest thing you get is the little microphone in the hat. Is that considered guerrilla marketing? Maybe. Yeah. But that was our point in yeah, doing exactly. it. We this wanted is... to be, just wanted, wanted to do it for fans, right. not for advertising. This is not a marketing campaign. We're not yeah. running this through Marketing Cloud or anything, you know? Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell all my creepy secrets. Yeah. Well, John, there's, well, well let me start out with, um, I just, I, I kind of wanted to see if you had any updates or anything you'd like to talk about, about your recent work on the Salesforce platform or deployments or. Depends if you want to get into rants and stuff. <laughs> that's, that's where it all leads, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> and issues with the new release and things that I should have known about or did know about, but didn't really plan ahead very well. Um, issues with the CLI. That was fun. That that's was a good chunk of my day. The DX CLI? Yeah. Just, okay. Yeah. Yeah. What else? What else happened this week? Um, oh, permissioning issues. Man, That's always what, fun. I was. I, I heard this discussion. It might, might be one of these one of these clips I have for us to listen to today. But they were talking about programming languages as um, as a user experience. So the you know the programming language by by how it makes you um, conform to its rules, how it lets you express. Your, your logic, you know. How it lets me express my individuality in the yep, code. Yep, So that is the user experience of the programming language. And mm. it got me thinking of, and that's true, you know, because in some languages, you know, people always talk about, you know, I think, um, like, you know, people talk, talk about Ruby as it being such an expressive language. And, or they used to. I think, I think Ruby's problems kind of caught up to it in, in some ways. Mm. And then you have, you know, languages that are, that aren't as expressive, like, you know, let's say java is one where it's gotten a ton better but just before some of the i would say developments over the past five or ten years i mean the amount of work you had to do just in terms of uh you know classes and access modifiers and brackets and all this you know you're, you're having to tell the compiler so much and mm -hmm. um and just you know being able to state something simple like well out of this list of things get the get the one where um the length property is the greatest. I mean, that uh, that alone just makes you, you have to write, you know, this is before, you know, like think of not only before extremes, but before like anonymous, before lambdas, before anonymous classes, you know, you just had to declare all this crap and mm -hmm. all these lines just to express something that I can say to you in one sentence. It's, right. you know, um, so, you know, that's that's the the user experience, right, of the, of the language. And I was thinking of like the user experience of some of these things in Salesforce because um, so I heard someone complaining this week and this is such a common complaint. It's about what a pain in the ass profiles are and how they just all yeah. oh, they're just it's never, never there's no end to the problems that they cause, you know, especially when you're trying to modify them, get them between environments and things like that. And right. I know, you know, you should rely on other things. You should try not to rely on profiles as much. We have newer things, permission sets and whatever, all this other stuff. But still, you have to deal with you have to deal with all these things. And just the user experience around profiles is so freaking bad. The sad part is and, permission sets shares the same user experience. It's just a different level of abstraction. Yeah. 
And also, how did this, like the new permission editor that was new as of like five years ago, how was that a step? I mean, that was a step that was back. Not a, that, that was, yeah, it was a step back. But just the, this whole thing of like, as, as a developer or, you know, deployment engineer or whatever, you, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, trying to get things from one environment to another, like the, that's where the problems of profiles really uh, make their, make themselves known. Yeah. Or if, you know, or if anyone's tried to change that profiles, you know, it's that whole, and I don't know, I don't, I still don't understand why someone, I mean, I'm sure it was performance based, but like the fact that the profile, if you pull a profile down, the only thing it's going to contain is the other things that you pull down in that as a part, as that, as a part of that retrieve. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can only think that. I mean, there've been so many I've dealt with probably thousands of production bugs related to profiles not making it through environments correctly. Yeah. Well, it's because the profiles were never meant to be portable anyways. None of this was meant to be portable, John, That's if you true. want to get down to it. That's true. <laughs> I mean, if you go back to the day, there was no sandbox. It was just, no. you did everything in production, you configured your application and... That's where the root of most of those standard object and metadata, all those artifacts of things that we're dealing with today, that's where it all came from, is the fact that it was never meant to be portable. Yep. And having to decouple that and abstract it away and, and try to have some sense of backwards compatibility, I, I mean, I, I kind of really wish they would kind of break some backwards compatibility, but I, I can understand why they wouldn't, but I wish they would. I mean, that's, that's part of the problem with one of these shared platforms is that you, you can't ever break any backwards compatibility for the most part. Yeah. And when you do, you have to make a big stink about it and give people a huge runway to, to get off of stuff. Yeah. If we use lightning as an example, well, lightning was kind of a, uh, lightning is not a good example, mainly because lightning wasn't ready. I think if lightning was ready and then you gave people the, the time to start making their changes, but there was so much change in, in flux around lightning at the time that you could build something and two releases later, the stuff you built is broken because they've changed how that works. Yeah. I saw a tweet the other day and I wish I could remember who it was. Cause I wanted to go back and find it because I think I only saw like the notification on my phone. I was, I was probably driving or walking around or something, but they, it was interesting. They said, you know, if Salesforce was to start over today, they would not, you, it would, they would not choose multi-tenant as their architecture. I mean, I at, believe that. at the time it, it yeah. was the most optimum thing to do. Mm -hmm. Optimal. Um, but now it's definitely not, I would say. Well, yeah, because we've got so much, so much better tooling these days to exactly. help manage all that. I yeah. mean, I think for hey, them, John, it was, we have DevOps. <laughs> you know, DevOps is one of the things I've been looking at a lot lately, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of. Uh, oh, you're, you're going to you're going to piss me off <laughs> because you're going to talk about DevOps as if it's a thing that it's not. Um, no, that's my thing. Okay, is that it, it? Everyone treats it as like this one person thing or this one single thing like it's this automation thing and but it's, it's not. not it's not it's not i'm actually reading a, a, a book it's actually a story-driven narrative but it's a it's a book called the the unicorn project okay and it ties uh, into the phoenix project okay. which is another book um did you read the phoenix project no i've been meaning to Absolutely. but i, I yeah. started with this one but it's a long ass read i actually got the audiobook so i could just listen to it while i was walking I, I i want to do a review of that book but it it's i it, the way it started i thought i was gonna have problems with it but as it got further and further, I was like, no, this is, this is good. This is making sense. Um, so anyways, I won't go into the details of that. But yeah, I've been reading that. And um, I was doing a lot of that during my week off. And I got into Kotlin. And so oh, when you were good. talking about these languages and the, the developer experience, I was like, oh, he's going to say Kotlin. He's going to say Kotlin because Kotlin, I really like Kotlin. 
Uh-huh. It's, it's almost like statically, uh, it's kind of like functional with all the benefits of, of typed safety because you get kind of some of those elements. Um, I'm a little concerned about the iffiness of, you know, because it lets you choose whether or not you're going to do um, open and closing brackets or semicolons. I really wish they would just kind of put their foot in the sand and say, you don't have to and just don't do it. But well, I, I, I don't I never use semicolons in common. I mean, it will accept them. it will accept yeah, them. But yeah, right. I just wish they, it wasn't so wishy washy like you can or you can't. I'd rather just have the compiler say, no, don't do it. Yeah. But but yeah, I, I really enjoyed doing a few demo projects with it and I, I think i really want to latch on to that because I, I really like it well and the, the cool thing about kotlin it, it is i mean i guess one of my complaints would be about it if anything is well, i mean i do have a few complaints it's, it's not a perfect language but it's you know it's um it has some constraints i mean the designers mm-hmm. of kotlin which which by the way is JetBrains. yeah um it has constraints and one of the big ones is just it's got to be a jvm language yeah so um and there's other ones too but um it's it's a big it's a pretty big language. I feel like there's a lot to it. Yeah. Whereas you know when you compare it to something like JavaScript, a very simple language, or um, I don't know. But yeah, Kotlin is is pretty great. Uh, in fact, just a little foreshadowing. So, and this is a warning to the to the listeners. <laughs> I have a lot of <laughs> clips today we're going to get to. I don't even know if we can get through all of them. But one of them, so um, one of them, uh, some of my clips are from a pod a new podcast called. Um, ha- happy path programming, hmm. and for the most part, they spend their, and there's I think there are eight or nine episodes in. For the most part, they spend their time talking about Kotlin. So I highly recommend that. We can switch gears too. What's that? We can switch gears too. What do you mean? Oh, to, oh, that's true. <laughs> well, this is. Oh, are we a Salesforce podcast, John? We did that just for Google Juice. But, I know, but, but that's that's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I think most of you know a lot of our listeners get pissed off if we don't talk about Salesforce all the time. That's true. But whatever. I mean, we're going to talk about what we want to talk about. This is not a we're going to lose know, all those all those uh, monthly checks if we do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Salesforce is going to stop paying for our uh, all of our travel to their conferences and giving us free passes and everything, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, not better. <laughs> Where are we going with that? Anyway, so Kotlin, um, yeah, that, that's cool. So I'm curious what got you, I mean, I, I, I know you've, I've talked about Kotlin a few times, but what, was there something specific that you were like, oh, I should try Kotlin for this? I mean, why did you, what triggered this? Because uh, I've been wanting to build some tools, which I won't tell you about because you'll, I want to experiment more before I lay them out in front of you, but I, I have been wanting to build some more tools, but I don't want them to be hosted on Salesforce. I kind of want them to be hosted wherever I want them to be hosted. And so I was looking at different backend languages for the site and I came across Kotlin JS and I was like, okay, let's okay, try yeah. that. So that's something else maybe we should explain about Kotlin. Which is just the differences in the language with JS and how it So they yeah, right. So Kotlin is designed, I think, up from the beginning to compile or transpile to mm-hmm. to multiple targets. Right. So the JVM is one. That's probably the main one. But JavaScript is another, I think, significant one. I think they have I think there's some Kotlin native thing as well yeah um but if you want to do web stuff you can't use the native it's like the what the sure. gradle implementations or something oh gradle Graal? amp no what am i thinking anyways i only just started you know picking this up last week so i'm not an expert but yeah, yeah. there's actually a bunch of really cool stuff going on in the java world um in terms of well really i mean i think docker pushed this quite a bit but um 
compiling down to um, native, basically. Mm-hmm. That's the but you know you have got like projects like um, Corcus and the, and the Graal VM that are <clears throat> really all about because uh, one of the com- one of the contr- criticisms of Java has always been you know the startup time. So it's it's mm-hmm. Java's good for you're really good for certain tasks and not so great for others. Like it's not good or it's historically hasn't been good for if you wanted to make like a, a command line tool because generally when you run a command line thing like you expect it to respond immediately. Mm-hmm. Well, Java has this whole bootstrapping process that is not designed for that. It's designed for like long running web applications and you know that where a, a 60 second startup time is totally normal because mm-hmm. it's it's having to you know load up so much stuff and you know java is a not a linked language i mean it links at runtime and so you know the 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 virtual machine is um going out and like as 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 and it starts bootstrapping first of all with the jvm itself but then then it gets to whatever you said was your startup class and then it just branches out from there i mean Every you know all the things that are statically mentioned or the classes that reference from your startup class, then it goes and loads those, and mm-hmm. yes, this pro and it go, and it depending on the, which class loader you're using, I mean, the most common ones like a jar or like a disk based class loader, but it's, it's having to go out and load those class files, and and then and then at the same time it's it's linking. That's when the linking happens as well. Yeah, and so it's just not good for things. It's, it wasn't designed for like some instant startup type of or like a fast startup application. Right. Yeah. Well, with with some of this new stuff, it's basically it's compiling them down to, I, I think, native. And so, and it also does like some kind of tree shaking so that the only thing that makes it into your binary is, is the bits that are actually referenced by code. So you don't have to bring along, you know, if you want a couple of functions out of some certain Java library that's like four megabytes, but you only need like two little things from it. Mm-hmm. Um, with this with some of these newer things, like it's only going to take the bits it needs. That's cool. Um, but yeah, yeah, it all compiles down to a, some kind of binary thing that it's, it's all, it's pre-linked and pre-everything. And so when you start it, I mean, we're talking about, you know, a couple of milliseconds back or something. I mean, just extremely, extremely fast. I mean, on par with, and then on top of that, I see what I don't, I, cause I just, I haven't really messed with these things that much. I'm still, I mean, my Java stuff I'm, I've been doing is, is still just, you know, tr- like more traditional Spring Boot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what we used to call containerless. I'm not sure what it's called now, but where your 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 web container and all that stuff is actually all embedded into a single jar file. So you have the fat jar model. Mm. Um, so I haven't. So I. I mean, I've only know what I've kind of read from these things, but um, yeah, startup really fast. I'm trying. I can't remember. I can't think. I lost my train of thought. But what was I saying? I lost your train of thought too. Okay. Anyway, but really we were cool. just, just talking about the generalities. I mean, I I was kind of looking for something that was possibly c- container compatible, just for portability. Because I do want to, I do want to have in like the CLI and things like that. For some when you say container compatible, what kind of container are you talking about? Docker, or Kubernetes, or something like that. Just okay. Some, some kind of container where I can kind of encapsulate all of this functionality. Because some of it, some of it does need to be kind of. OS Docker level type stuff containers. running. Docker lightweight containers. Yeah. Docker lightweight containers. So I was just experimenting with some ideas on things that I wanted to, always wanted to touch and didn't have the time. And so it was my chance to do that. Oh, and by the way, you can't do this with Salesforce. Yeah. You can't. <laughs> uh, you could maybe do it with Evergreen. No, probably mm, not. No. Probably not. Yeah. Evergreen's more about 
functions, simple functions, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm trying to build out some tooling and stuff. I mean, well, I'm, I'm not trying to build tooling. I'm trying to experiment with tooling. I'm trying to explore some ideas because I, I, I've kind of disappointed myself because I used to do that kind of experimentation all the time. And as of late, in the last few years, I really haven't devoted much time to that type of experimentation mm. and learning. It's called kids and family. Yeah. And trying to make money. and Yeah. So I, I feel like I'm really getting but, left behind. I feel like I'm way too dependent on the platform as a developer. Um, well, that's why, you know, people, you know, I, th I think sometimes people talk about um, software engineers having like a high, high salaries. And maybe they do. But if you consider, unless you're just lucky and you fall into some really boring industry that doesn't ever change. If you actually add up the amount of time you have to spend keeping up with the changes in the technology, it's actually, you're not making that much per hour. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> and if, and that's one of the, you know, when people talk about maybe wanting to get into software development or, you know, maybe look at that career, I would tell people, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it could be good for you, but um, you need to understand that if you're not willing to commit really all this an extra time outside of your job to staying on top of the changes, then you shouldn't do it. I think and that's and what when you factor me. that in, the, the pay may not be as good as what you think it is. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of professions out there that just require this, that constant learning, but I think that's what bothers me about some of these kind of coding camp things where they say, well, we'll teach you to code in a weekend and you can get a job and this and that. And I'm like, well, I have a few clips on that too, John. It's, 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 it's not so much just learning the language. It's not so much that. There, there's, there's a whole thing around it. There's, you know, staying current. There's kind of learning your way of doing things and, and having the experience to know what you should or shouldn't do and all those kind of things that you just kind of, you gain from experience. It's not like a one and done thing. It's I not mean, like you learn how to hammer a nail, learn how to saw something, learn how to measure something. There's, there's a whole experience around it. Yeah. Um, have you heard of, uh, speaking of languages, the Julia language? have not heard of that. Yeah, I haven't really looked into Are that Are we going to have way too many languages again? Well, I mean... We I used to have an explosion of frameworks, and now for some reason it's really cheap to build a language because languages are just showing up everywhere. I don't know, man. I mean, there's... Even, even back in the day when people would talk... When Java was a, a new language, people talked about, oh, yeah, it's based a little bit on, you know, on Simula and a little bit on Ada and all these different things. I'm like, I, I mean... There have always been tons of languages. Mm. It's just most people don't work with them. Or um, what was the other one with the, the refactoring browser? Um, refactoring browser. Oh. Yeah. Um, you still hear about it. I mean, there's still, it has its adherence. Uh, what, <laughs> what was that language? Dang it. Um, it. You know it. I can't believe I can't think of it. Uh, anyway, I'll think of it later. Do you but, know who it was made by? I, I don't. Um, and I always I, the re the reason I thought of refactoring browsers because it was I feel like it was always a a small talk. Gosh, I can't believe I can't. Okay, think of that. yeah. No, there's always been tons of languages. It's, it's really nothing new. I mean, yeah. I feel like mainly at universities, this stuff has been happening for since really before we were born. But no, Julia is one I'm, I'm hearing about a lot. Of course, you know, there's, you always got your Rust and Go and Haskell and, um, what's the Java Lisp? Um, Clojure. Oh, yeah. Mm. Scala, Kotlin. Yeah, I guess you're I'm right. Thinking, and I, we haven't even got to the .NET languages. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't follow that space that much, so. I, I haven't really been following it much either, which is sad for someone who claims to be a .NET developer. But, do you claim that? Uh, not anymore. I mean, you're .NET capable. I wouldn't say you're a .NET. Like, I'm, I'm capable like... a lot. I definitely <laughs> have not mastered anything. Uh, if, uh... Well, um, there's there's some stuff that's maybe big but kind of boring. I mean, the whole, like, social media censoring yeah, like legitimate political news that was interesting. Um, the The Department of Justice just filed an antitrust lawsuit against Google. That was this week. That's I didn't big, hear about that one. Yeah, yeah, that's a big deal. Um, I think it's. I think it. I don't know. I didn't read it. Um, but they. Uh, it's apparently just about the dominance of the of search. I don't mm. know. Well, it is the new monopoly for sure. It kind of is. I mean, although I will say, you know, one thing that's really mitigated google quite a bit because think about i mean because google has such a dominant uh i guess market share in the in the search business that also means they're dominant in the selling online ads business Mm -hmm. but i mean facebook has been a huge offset against google i think because facebook advertising has become really big and it's also i mean from all almost all accounts more effective cost-effective and better you can better target and things so because you have more information on people yeah but they're not a search engine although some people probably use them as a search engine i'm sure i mean yeah you can pretty much find it it's almost like aol just like any keyword just type an aol keyword and it takes you to it facebook's the same way because you have to be everything has to be on facebook every business has to be on facebook i'm not a fa- well i have a facebook account the, We're I'll on you Facebook, that, but I haven't touched that account in forever. The, the thing that keeps me from... No, not, not, I'm not one of these. I've never really had an urge just to delete my Facebook account. I really don't use it that much. Um, I take that back. There's one thing I, that I do use Facebook for every day. And that would... if I, It's the thing that would keep me from deleting my Facebook account. is the groups. There Your are so many group. groups. Homebrew, school stuff, neighborhood stuff. It's, it's like all Facebook groups. And I just, you know, I got to have those, unfortunately. That's just where the communities are. Yeah, there's been an explosion of communities, too. PS5 is adding community features to its new uh, operating system. Hell, my freaking Ring camera has a community system built into it. Oh, I really don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't mind it. I shouldn't say that. I don't mind it. I I feel like it notifies me things that are not relevant, but... I feel like it's kind of creepy. Um... So we did have a topic suggestion this week from Jay Janarthanen. Um, it's the Salesforce job market. Did, do you want to mm. talk about that at all? We can. Or that's, it can also be something we can hold. It's, it's, it's not something that's going to be stale next time we record. That's true. We, we might be able to hold it. I mean, I, I, did, I did kind of want to talk about that, but I don't know. But we can definitely hold it. We do, there's a lot of clips. I don't have any time constraints. I mean, I do. I just, I'm a busy person. You are too. Well, I you say that. you don't have any time to transfer, but you really No, I, <laughs> I have stuff to do. I'll be working tonight, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, I, have a, I have a clip on that. <laughs> oh, crap. Well, um, one thing that's new is, did you see, it was just, just today announced that Dreamforce is coming to you. I mean, we knew this would happen, right? But they, they announced some stuff about Dreamforce. Did you see any of that? They should be announcing it for 30 minutes ago. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, the site's been up, but they're supposed to have some more information that they're supposed to release around 5 PST. Well, let's look at uh, 5 PST. Oh, that's 7 our time, right? Oh, is it? Yeah. Anyways, there's more information coming today or tomorrow on on more details about it. But right now, there's a site 
with cute characters on it, the mascots. Well, let's see if we can hear. I tried to compile it, but compile it, deconstruct it. Compile it. Let's see if we can hear this. For nearly 20 years, Salesforce has hosted the largest technology conference in the world. But this year, that isn't possible. So instead of everyone coming to Dreamforce, Dreamforce 2020 is coming to you. Reimagining everything with content, experts, and inspiration personalized for your company. The world's largest tech conference, right in your own backyard. Request your invite at dreamforce.com. I have to request an invite. It's invite only. <laughs> Did you request your invite yet, John? No. It's not a Dreamforce unless you have to dodge poop and listen to <laughs> random people yell at you and pay thousands of thousands of dollars a night to, oh, I'm gonna, to exist in a spot. And uh, we'll, we'll save, what, 10 grand per person, maybe? Something like that. And think of, that, think of um, how much we're going to be saving the planet by not having hundreds of thousands of plane rides. Oh, so now you're an environmentalist. Oh, of course I am. Actually, I'm an environmentalist. I mean, who else do you know that's had a compost pile their entire adult life? That's true. Yeah. And uses it religiously. My rule is or organic material is not allowed to leave the property. Yeah. Yeah, Jeremy routinely <laughs> goes in the backyard and <laughs> adds fertilizer to yeah. his compost. <laughs> no, I, have a, I have a dog for that now, John. That's right. We didn't talk about that. No. What was their name again? Um, I think they settled on Daisy. They. Actually. Are you like me and the dog? Like, it's their dog. Uh, yeah, oh, yes, because I was not on board with a puppy. Yes. Because I like to sleep. Actually, yeah. I like to be able to work, which requires me being able to sleep. Yes. So. But yeah, her, I think her name is, her full name is Daisy, and her, well, her first name is Daisy, her middle name is Gingy, which is spelled D-I-N-D-I. It's from a, um, uh, like a Brazilian, I guess it would be a bossa nova. Huh. The uh, song I really like. And it kind of stuck. Let's see if I can play a bit of that. So I'm trying to do something on YouTube here. Get to the run. Get to the, uh... Here we go. I Gingy, if I only have words, I would say all the beautiful things that I see. Need a cocktail. I know. That's, yeah. Oh, anyway. that's nice. Yeah, it is. Actually, yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. Dog. I have a dog. I'm a dog owner again. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to some clips, John. Okay. Uh, we have a lot to get through. So, uh, yeah, yeah, fair warning. And I will say, um, these are, I do this thing where, because um, I, I, well, I used to listen to more podcasts than I do now because I don't, don't have as much time. But uh, if I, um, I'll often, you know, there'll be something that I'm, I'm listening to because I listen to like, I don't know, programming podcasts and some Salesforce podcasts and everything. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, be nice to be able to clip that. So John and I could talk about it. And for the longest time I've been, I'll keep it like a, I'll do a screenshot of my podcast player just so I can see the podcast and like the time code. Mm-hmm. And I'll go, the idea is I'll go back through my photo library and pull all those out and then go find the podcast and download the MP3 file on my computer, open it up, clip out the audio that I wanted, clean it up, you know, mm-hmm. fix the audio, normal, and all that. And so I actually, I did all that. <laughs> I had quite a, I had quite a bit of stuff piled up, um, but it's a lot. I don't even know if we'll get to all of it. 
but it's kind of a um, a range of things. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and it's all across the board. It's just this is just nuts. So this is going to be a clip show, clip blast. Awesome. Are you ready for my blast? <laughs> sure. Okay. I was ready for that. The bar has been raised in podcasting to a certain quality level where you you can get away without editing, and there's a certain crowd that will consume that and enjoy that style. But the vast, vast majority have so many choices that they're going to choose the stuff that's better produced. And so as a content creator, you're kind of compelled to improve the audio quality, improve the editing, improve the publishing experience. And you have to keep pushing these areas forward. And eventually it gets to the point where it's so competitive that you have to outsource that expertise to someone like an editor who really knows their stuff. So the reason I clipped that, just because I thought it was interesting that there's this idea that you have to have a really tightly edited podcast. I think there's some merit to that. You know, and it's funny because there's different styles of podcasts, Mm -hmm. I I think. And I listen to some that are really tightly edited and they've got, you know, bumper music between, they've got segments and, and bumper music and, and it's all, you know, and there's no buts or ums or pauses. It's just all really tight, Mm -hmm. you know, and then there's podcasts that are more kind of like ours. Um, that are just conversations and they're, yeah. you'd leave all that stuff in cause it's part of the conversation. The idea is that you, it's like you're sitting and just having a conversation with someone and you're just kind of sitting in the room listening to them. Well, I think the difference is that if your podcast, the purpose of your podcast, or at least the, the reason people listen to your podcast is for information, then you'd probably want something that was tighter, something yeah. that got to the, got to those points quicker. I mean, that's some of the criticisms of us is that. Oh, you took like 20 minutes to get to Salesforce. <laughs> what the hell am I listening to this for? Well, <laughs> some people listen to us because they like our personalities. They like our interactions. They, you yeah. know. And that's, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, we're not a single, not to, not to turn this back about, on us. Although I did, I immediately thought of our podcast when I, when I heard that. Um, I was like, oh, that's interesting because we definitely, I mean, we used to edit, actually. We edit tightly, right? Because But we our were, editing was not because we were trying to streamline it. It was because we were trying to cut out the stupid crap we said. That's true. And just all the, when we, you know, because we've gotten, believe it or not, we we're, we used to be worse at this than we are now for, yeah. for new listeners. Yeah. <laughs> but we've gotten to where at least we can typically sit down and record, you know, and it's just straight, what mm-hmm. do we call it? What do you, what do you call it? Um, catch and release? Yeah, it's like a catch yeah. and release. I mean, there's really no, I mean, the most I'd ever, I ever have to do usually is if um, like maybe tack on the intro and some atri- you know like an ending thing but that's yeah. it that nothing else gets edited and, and now we've even gotten to the point that we can um with the audio stack we have it's all it's basically live produced i mean we there's no there's actually no post-production i mean because i used to have this really extensive post-production chain of of you know all the audio all the audio stuff so i mean all the eqs and compressors and gates and limiters and all that kind of stuff was all in software mm-hmm. and we would do that after the fact and and now it's all done produced live. Part of the idea with getting that equipment that can do that, though, was when we were doing, when we were, we were broadcasting live. Right. And I thought, well, it'd be great if we could, because we were broadcasting like more of just a raw right. dump of like our, our tracks that we're recording. But so it was not, you know, it's, um, I don't know, you see, so you, you just, it's not quite as good of an audio experience. And also, I don't think we could do clips or anything because that required you to get like a mixed thing back out. Right. And we just didn't have that. But now we, we could, we could, I mean, if we broadcast live, you're going to get, you're going to hear on the live broadcast, you would hear exactly what makes it into the MP3 file. Right. It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so because we aren't a tightly edited show, 
for better or worse, you get to hear all of our ums and pauses and when we say dumb stuff. We just... But we've gotten better at that as well. I think so. That's why I said, believe it or not, we used to be worse at this. Because yeah. <laughs> I still don't think we're like, uh, you know, great or anything. It's <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I did admit to going home and crying after every episode, so... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, next clip. This is one of these questions of should everybody know how to program? And I think the answer is... Probably not, but I think everybody should at least understand sort of what it is so that if you say to somebody, I'm a programmer, they have a notion of what that might be. Or if you say this is a program or this was decided by a computer running a program, that they have some vague intuitive understanding and, and accurate understanding of what that might imply. Um, I, I don't know where this one, I'm not sure what, star, I'm, I'm trying to think of who this even was. I'm going to have to go back and find out. I mean, because some of these, I mean, these clips I have, I mean, I've got like James Gosling and um, uh, Dennis Ritchie and like all these, and um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of who else. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of who that might have been. I think it was Anders Halsberg, but it's totally not because he doesn't have an accent or doesn't have whatever that accent is. Um, but, you know, we, you've heard, and I think this has died down some, but this, do you remember the thing when like, oh, everyone should know how to code. Everyone should code. All right. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I was like, wait a minute. Now. I can think of a lot of people who shouldn't code. <laughs> um, and then I think the sentiment he was, he was expressing is kind of correct. You kind of want to understand how things are working. I, I agree with that. Get the general yeah. idea of, you know, what's going on. But to me, that kind of helps you understand, you know, what to expect out of something, I think. Yeah, and assuming you have to, like, if you're someone who, you know, you have a, a, a job and you have to work in life, I mean, it helps to understand how, because, I mean, everything's systems and digital nowadays, right? Mm -hmm. And digital transformation, right? Yeah. And and it just helps to know kind of how, like at least at a very high level of how things work a little bit. I think understanding how maybe programs are constructed that that kind of helps some, I think. But you know there was this thing and it still happens. Um but you know it seems like whenever we've had like a downturn in the economy or we decide to basically outsource an entire industry to other countries and whatever we're the thing and it's so damn condescending that you always hear like politicians and some business leaders say is Oh, you should learn to code. And it's just like, okay, so, you know, this thing my family has done for the past X amount of generations, you just made it illegal or you just made it, you know, you trained some tax thing so that it makes it totally invalidates the whole business now. And you're telling me to go learn to code. You know, I, I can imagine how that doesn't sit well with, with some people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, not, it's not new, though. It's not unprecedented. No, it's not. I mean, I, I tell the story of when I was younger, the big thing was getting to the medical field. And so they were pushing really hard, all the kids, you know, medical field, get in the medical field, go do this, go do that. Be a nurse, be a doctor, do this. Yeah. And now it's coding. Yeah. Now it's coding. I know. I know. It's like coding's the thing. Yeah. Are your kids in the coding at all? I know you kind of did some experimenting with it. I did. My daughter really didn't, didn't get into it, but my son, who I spent the least amount of time trying to encourage, he's... He does a lot of it. He oh, really? gets on those little programs that you can drag and drop, but yeah. he understands the me the mechanics of it, which w worried me. I was worried with all these drag and drop stuff, he wouldn't understand what was going on. But then he started getting into Minecraft, and he started getting into some of the scripting of that. Mm. And I'm talking about, like, screen he would have to screenshot coordinates for his place on the map and have to plug those into functions and things like that. And so he was learning all that, and he yeah. was doing it. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, And he was learning... Whether he knew it or not, he was learning some really cool Boolean logic stuff. Yeah. Um, 
just because of of the way Minecraft works. It's very binary with the way the the redstone works and everything. So mm-hmm. I mean, he was he's learning some good some good things if he sticks with it. Yeah, it's a lot of math concepts too. Yeah, yeah. I still can't get my my oldest, my eleven year old. Can't just not interested yet. But I've got some. I've got a couple of these other programs. I'm gonna I'm gonna try out with him. Mm-hmm. But anyway, okay. Next clip. My friend who's a game developer works crazy hours. By the way, this is, um, I believe, from the Salesforce developer podcast. Mm-hmm. I think this is Kevin Porman, who, is, he's Code Fryer, is that right? Yes. Does that sound right? Okay. He's been on the show before, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I thought. And, you know, my Salesforce developer friends, they tend to work business hours. Salesforce is an enterprise business platform. I'm going to back this friend up. who's a game developer. Talking about game developers? Works crazy hours. And, you know, my Salesforce developer friends, they tend to work business hours. Salesforce is an enterprise business platform. And so that that gives you a, a sense of, of, you know, what kind of work you would be doing, which means that you don't have to necessarily worry about, am I going to have to, you know, be up till four in the morning uh, for three weeks? to meet a deadline all right so this is an ask john because john you have been a salesforce developer for a very long time um is that is that a truism that if you're a salesforce developer you don't you get to work just business hours you don't have to ever worry about working late i don't know how to answer that (laughs) i figured this would trigger you i'm well, I'm trying not <laughs> I'm to let to tr- get a I'm trying not to let it trigger me because I've realized in the last year or so that I I did a lot to myself. It's your fault. Self-inflicted. A lot of it was self-inflicted. So I can sit and moan and complain about being up all night trying to solve a problem, but a lot of it was self-inflicted because I was very stubborn about trying to solve a problem a certain way. Um, but in I think it depends on who you work for. When I worked for when I worked for a company, and I was an employee and I was a developer. Yeah, my job was start, stop at the end of the day. That's how I was able to start a blog and do all those kind of extra things and be a part of the community because my day started when I got there and it ended when I left. I didn't really do much extra. But as a consultant and as a partner, there's a lot to do and there's a lot to keep track of because it's not just one project. If it was one project and one thing you were focused on, then yeah. When you got so many things juggling and so many, and it's not just the work, it's, you know, We've never done this before, and well, now I got to go learn how to do this, or or we're having some weird issue that no one's ever seen before. Well, now I got to research and pick this thing apart and see if I can figure it out. There's just a lot of extra that comes with with trying to be on the forefront of implementing new things. Yeah, and I, I guess I just I feel like that was the clip was 180 degrees wrong. Do you? Yeah. Um, I mean, so I do. I've done a lot of Salesforce development. I've done a lot of non-Salesforce development, and. Mm-hmm. You know, in my non-Salesforce development, I mean, I don't have GACs that are completely opaque that I cannot get past unless, you know, it's, you it goes back to the thing, you, you know, you better hope you know someone at Salesforce. Well, he was talking about the game industry and the game industry has been notorious for short deadlines. No, no, he was not talking about, he was picking on the game industry because it's got, it's got that, historically has had a reputation for burning people out. Yes. Um, but it's not due to the technology. That. No, it's, it wasn't. It's due to the, the deadlines. But he and, and picked the... a technology to compare it to, which was the Salesforce platform and the Salesforce ecosystem. I mean, that's what... the. So I should also back up and say um, one, another interesting thing about this clip. Let's see if I can find it. Um, which, by the way, while you're doing that, I do want to 
do want to point out the audio difference between us right now and what oh, you were yeah. hearing then. And I'm trying to think, actually, what's, <laughs> that might not have been the Salesforce Developer Podcast. I think that, I think that might have been Software Engineering Daily, hmm. which I, I kind of want... <laughs> One thing I thought of, and that's, by the way, Software Engineering Daily. Um, let's see, Salesforce. Yeah, yeah, that was Software Engineering Daily, which is a podcast I used to listen to. And I don't anymore for a few reasons. One, I feel like <laughs> in some ways they kind of burned through all the stuff I was actually interested in. And it's gotten to so much esoteric stuff nowadays mm -hmm. that I don't find it interesting. But the other problem with it, it's become real commercialized, like lots of entire episodes that are bought and paid for mm. they're like it's like a giant infomercial and in fact that's what this episode was check this out full disclosure salesforce is a sponsor of software engineering daily and and i have never heard that before i've listened to a lot of episodes of that podcast i've never heard that it's been sponsored before by salesforce and i couldn't I actually search around i couldn't find where they'd ever sponsored so that that was because the the episode was on the salesforce ecosystem mm. like it's not even really an engineering topic but and it's also, it's just, it just so very obviously, uh, well, like a one hour infomercial that was bought and paid for by Salesforce. That's also a theme of today of some of these clips is, is some of this sponsor, this podcast sponsorship that Salesforce is doing. So there's something other, something else to look forward to there. But anyway, back to the whole, like, is Salesforce, uh, is working in, well, on the Salesforce platform. That's like the super predictable thing where you never have to, I mean, you know, you've got GACs, you've got all these weird things, you've got completely unpredictable and non-deterministic deployments. Um, I, I really think the, the comparison isn't the technology. I, I know, but I'm just comparing it no, to no, like the other what, platforms I work on. What I'm saying is, if I, if I looked at programming in general as a job, if you work for a company, a, a company that, that doesn't work its people to the ground like the game industry has... Yeah. You pretty much, if you have a problem to solve at five o'clock, you go home and then you start back trying to solve that problem the next day. Yeah. That's, that's, that's enterprise business. That's, that's the way that works. But I've, if you never, work, I've never worked in a business like that. I've always had deadlines and, and there's if, deadlines. Yeah. And yeah, there's times where you have to kind of, where you kind of do work the extra hour to meet those deadlines. But by and large, I mean, I spent what, two or three years with, with a major enterprise company with lots of projects, lots of work, lots of different committees and things that I had to be a part of and things. And yeah, but you were mainly writing documents at that point. No, no. That's what you told me. No, were, I'd gotten you, to the you, point. You I got offsh offshoring your development. That was, that was the last few months that I was there. Um, well, last probably six months because I moved into Technogarchic Solution Architecture, which is when I started doing documentation. But when I got there, they were a month from go live, no unit testing on anything, and I had to fix it all. I was working late nights that night, that time. Um, but once we got everything worked out and everything was was well oiled, and we had all of our you know flows in place and everything, it was it was normal days. It was it was nine to five work. Um, it was. If we had new project initiatives and things like that, we planned for them. I mean, we planned them out and we were able to kind of stay within After our... After you left that position, did they replace you? No. Yeah. So that's... I actually think this is an unfair comparison. I just don't think it's typical. I, I would like to think it's typical, but yeah, you're right. It might not be. I just don't think it is. Um, Maybe I just looked out. Yeah. Anyway. Let's move on. I could keep talking about that, but... We got a lot of stuff to get through. Let's see. That's just picking on, I like to pick on JavaScript. Sort of JavaScript was seen as uh, the, <laughs> probably like the ugliest language 
possible. <clears throat> and yet it's quite arguably, quite possibly taking over, not just the front end, the back end of the internet, but possibly in the future taking over everything because they've now learned to make it very efficient. Yeah. And, and so what do you think about this? <laughs> yeah, well, I think you captured it in a lot of ways. When it first came out, JavaScript was deemed to be fairly irregular and an ugly language. If you... <laughs> I don't know why any of these are cutting off, but um, it's funny. I kind of felt that way about Java in general. Java has nothing to do with JavaScript. No, I know that, but I felt that way about Java as a language. They it were was just kind of take the the whole VM architecture was going to take over everything because .NET started doing the VM, and you, and of course you had the Java, and everything was going to the VM route. And I just felt like that was going to take over the world. That's and then web came, and then I was like, oh, it's taking over the world, but it's a crappy oh, it's a crappy architecture to build your application the, on. The web browser's your VM now, John. I know. <laughs> and it's funny now, because this whole VM model, with the things we were talking about earlier, we're now moving away from that. Like, we're yeah. compiling down to... To native. To native. Um, kind of crazy. If you said you were working on JavaScript, people yeah. would ridicule it. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, back to Salesforce sponsoring podcast. I found this one interesting. Uh, play clip too. So <laughs> this is, um, I'll just tell you that this clip is from, it's from, um, this is uh, also, this might be a, a milestone for us. We're a podcast playing clips of podcasts playing clips. Oh, <laughs> that's quite, <laughs> but no, quite um, an there's a, there. there's a new pod. This is, it's like, I think it's targeted towards, towards podcasters, but it's called, I think it's called podcast 2.0. Mm-hmm, that's it's, new. Have you heard of this? Mm -hmm. It's this thing that um, I think it's Adam Curry and, mm -hmm. and some other guy are doing. Yeah, he's trying to start a second revolution around podcasts. So he's got a whole new indexing. So it's like podcastindex.org or something like that, where he's trying to aggregate all the feeds there and everything, which we do have a listing there. Well, because, you know, the podcast, the whole ecosystem is, is under attack from people who want to. Okay, let's back up. Apple has been really this amazing, benevolent mm -hmm. um, steward. provider, steward yeah. in the podcast business. But you've got these sharks that have moved in, whether it's um, Spotify and everything, Spotify, making these corporate yeah, and sponsored I'm, deals. What's like Gimlet or deals. I don't know. There's the, yeah, these, and they're and they're trying to make podcasts like proprietary and require certain players and all this mm -hmm. kind of, and which is just really antithetical and to the people who have been you know, either invented podcasts or have been in for a long time. I mean, think of like Adam Curry's, mm -hmm. um, your boyfriend, um, what's his name? Oh crap. I can't remember. Five by five. Guy. Yeah, I know. I, Dan Benjamin. Dan, Dan Benjamin, Benjamin. There you go. Um, it left my mind as soon as you asked. Marco Arment. Yeah. I mean, these, these are people who not only have, I mean, I obviously have like vested financial interest in, in podcasts staying open, mm -hmm. like the open podcast web, or, you know, or whatever. But I also think they're just, I mean, they just believe in, and then they, they, you know, they like it. They, they like the podcast ecosystem and the, and the, how, the technology works and they want to keep it open and keep it that way, regardless of their financial interests. Um, but there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things fighting against that now, but anyway, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, look what happened to content creators on YouTube. I mean, it was, it was free, it was open and they had free reign, but now that YouTube started selling ads and then because of that ad revenue, the companies who are sponsoring now have a lot more control. And so now they're controlling the content. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's, uh, I mean, that's un unavoidable with sponsorship. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's just always going to happen, which is why we've always talked about on the show, like we would, we never really pursued sponsorships, never really taken sponsorships. We get, we get requests here and there, but, and I've, you know, there are other podcasts now in the Salesforce space that are very commercialized. I've mm -hmm. noticed, um, I don't really listen to those because I don't care to listen to bought and paid for content, but, um, 
is what it is. You know, doesn't mean it's all bad. It's just not my, yeah, it's my, just not my thing. thing. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so back to this clip. This is this new podcast 2.0 um, podcast podcast. I guess they obviously they talk a lot about the podcast industry. So let's see. Thomas. Oh, ooh, hold on a second. And by the way, I really appreciate that you show up with clips. <laughs> That's very nice. Okay, here she is. This episode of the Michelle Obama podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Yeah. <laughs> see, now that's a misplaced ad in my book. That that's that ran at the beginning. Uh, like they had the intro, then they did. Uh, by the way, it's a very boring podcast. Yeah, I told you, it's unimpressive. It's not yeah, really great. Trying, I mean, even listening to it to get these ad clips was was painful. But they did that at the beginning, and then they did a mid roll halfway through where it's a little sort of like an extended spot for ads for Salesforce. Oh no. Yeah, so it's it's double it's double Salesforce one at the beginning and a longer one in the middle. <laughs> so they they go to sort of like a let's take a break. Yeah. You know, and then oh, they, they do like that. A, they do that. They do. We'll we'll be right back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, we yeah, should do those. Like a minute long, and then they come <laughs> back. You know why I'm advocating for for like a mid show advertisement segment? So you can go to the bathroom. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I find it fascinating that Salesforce is doing all this sales uh, podcast marketing sponsorship. Yeah. And are, just, are we against sponsoring because Salesforce never approached us to sponsor us? No. That, <laughs> and in fact, I mean, that would be the last company on the face of the planet that I would accept sponsorship from. It's, it's too much. Um, it's too, it's too connected to what we talk about. Yeah. That's, that's not, not that I wouldn't take Salesforce or wouldn't want Salesforce's money. <laughs> um, but let's see. Okay. What's next? Uh, uh, let's do some low code, John. So, nice. um, okay. So this is another clip from, I don't know. Did I do clips from these guys? Um, the what are they called? Um, it's the Kotlin, the Kotlin discussion. A happy path program. There you go. Okay, just wanted to. I have a question that's a little different. Well, significantly different, I guess. Which is, I keep coming across this. Uh, well, let me introduce you to these. These are actually old friends of mine um, that I've known for a long time. James Ward who uh, is currently working for Google. I think he's like a developer advocate, but he's not just like one of these evangelists. He's actually, you know, pretty legit programmer does. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's always doing um, all these experiments and sample projects and getting his hands dirty and everything. He, I mean, I think I met him when he was the Adobe, what was it called? Air Flex. 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 He was Adobe Flex evangelist. And then Bruce Eckel, I've known forever too. He, um, I met him because he does all these little, he lives in Crested Butte and does all these kind of small software conferences. Um, sometimes during the winter. And so you can, you like, we would do these things where we would uh, have the conference in the morning mm-hmm. and in the afternoons we need to like, go skiing or, or people would like um, hit the bar. Yeah, that would be <laughs> me. Uh, or, or we would just like you know, have little hackathons or whatever. Um, and then he also does like ones in the spring or in the summer. Because, I mean, it's just beautiful up there in the summer, too. I mean, you can, there's all kinds of hiking and different stuff, like all these activities. But really cool little conferences. Anyway, I think he still does those. I haven't been up there in a while, but I need to, I need to see what he's got going on. Because they're, they're kind of combo software conference slash you know, vacation. I think I took Sarah up there once for it. Anyway. Low code, no code <laughs> meme that's going around. And every article that I read. I forgot to mention. Also, James used to work at Salesforce. So that's an important fact over here about it, because I'm trying to figure out what do they mean? 
it's like saying, oh, this is going to be great and it's going to change everything. But they never say what it is. And it really smells like, I don't know if you remember when we had the, uh, what did they call it? The AI revolution or something in the nineties. Yeah. yeah. And it turned out to be complete marketing horse Focus. manure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like, this really smells like that to me. Cause I haven't ever seen an example of it or anything. Do you know what it means? Yeah. Uh, working at Salesforce, I had a lot of experience with no code and low code and Salesforce is using that marketing terminology a lot okay. to describe their platform. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, most developers I think are using general purpose programming languages, Python, Java, whatever, and are using libraries and frameworks to accomplish some goal. But it turns out companies have a hard time hiring skilled developers who know how to use a general purpose programming language to build a phone app or a web app or whatever they need to build. And so, uh, so the one possible solution to this problem is let's make it much easier for people to build stuff so that you don't have to be a 20 year programming veteran to be able to deliver something. But haven't we been trying to do that all along, make it much easier to build stuff? I mean, do you have any comments so far? This is like a couple more minutes in this. Oh, really? Yeah. I was just trying to give you, it. You had, look like you had thoughts on your face there, but uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I have problems with how benign he makes it seem the marketing is around low code. Because they're not saying this is a way to build something easier so that you can offset your developer needs. Salesforce has almost positioned this as you don't need those damn developers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Our tools are so smart and they do all this stuff and you don't need those damn developers. I mean, for the longest time, I mean, it's only been recently that we've started getting some attention. And I think the evangelists at Salesforce, some of those great guys are really a big part of that. But for the longest time, I mean, they really threw us under the bus for these damn tools for the sake of these damn tools. Yeah. I feel like that's always been so people goal. have been trying to do it with general purpose programming languages right. and i think python is a amazing example of of non-veteran programmers being able to deliver things sure. very well i think java one of the reasons it's been so successful is is for mm -hmm. this reason as well um but there's been other efforts which say okay what if we what if we didn't use general purpose pl programming languages to do this mm -hmm. what if we instead made like gui builders uh we made um very limited programming languages dsls usually these are uh, yeah i mean how is this different from the idea of dsls it it's Domain intertwined specific languages thank you um, it's intertwined because there definitely can be uh, DSLs in the low-code version of this. Uh, but the idea is just to put so many guardrails on what the user can do that you really constrain. You constrain the programming ability so much that it's much easier for people to learn. So and I think Salesforce has probably been the most successful at doing this. There's a lot of people who don't come from programming backgrounds, don't do any general purpose programming, and are building web applications and mobile applications using Salesforce. Hmm. And so Salesforce has a, a way to build stuff with no code. And then if you need more flexibility, then you can drop down to their DSL, which is called Apex. It's a mm -hmm. Java-like program.
You ever hear people refer to Apex as a DSL? I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've heard that. I think I've even used described it as that because it's it's such a it's very specific specific to the domain of Salesforce. Yeah, but anyway, it's it's an interesting, um, I guess, analogy or whatever. Programming language, but very constrained. You can't even, you can't do libraries like you. It, it is kind of a database trigger language, like PL SQL almost. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so it's very constrained in what you can do. You can write web pages, web page backends, and some of that kind of stuff with it too. But so it's kind of been. What's interesting is that what often happens with these low code programming environments is that people need more and more power and so then there's just this endless like feature creep to the language where it ends up creeping towards a general purpose language and so so i think that there is certainly validity in the no code low code uh the need for it what what i've what i've been questioning lately is can't we just do this and shouldn't we just do this on top of the general purpose programming languages and create layers of usability around them so that when we need more power, we can, we can just always drop down to that, that, uh, the lower level general purpose program language. That's a much better way of putting it. I was really not with him until he said that. Yeah. Um, there's a couple things there. One, when he was talking about, these simpler abstractions that get feature creep and they next thing you know they're as complex as like a general purpose programming language i'm trying to apply that to the to the salesforce situation and i would imagine that especially since we've been through several iterations of these i mean we started with workflow and then it was process builder and then there was kind of flows but now like flows are getting way more powerful mm-hmm. right and and they're probably way more complex i mean i've seen <laughs> man uh, some horrific screenshots of people's flow uh diagram layouts i'll, I'll contrast that and i've seen some very beautiful diagrams like they've they've made little birds and stuff out of them yeah so, so i guess um again this is this is where these these tools start <laughs> that's funny actually <laughs> how about a middle finger you know there you go. <laughs> uh, but when you when you need to start doing bigger and more complex things i mean m- maybe you you kind of can but the, you know you the the limitations of the tool and the, the just like the level of abstraction that it's at really starts to become a problem and it's just like wow this would be so much better if it was in you know like a dsl or a general purpose programming language yeah. so in terms of salesforce feature creep i do feel like these the um the drag and drop things have become have had some creep to them but where was I going with that? I mean, well, he was talking about creep in the language itself, so in the I, DSL I know. itself, right? And I was, I'm trying to apply that to the Salesforce situation. So, well, because instead of a DSL, we're talking about you know uh, what what do they call it? What's just the drag and drop, you know, logic building tools. Yeah, I think the contrast he was trying to make is that if, if Apex is nothing more than a very simple scripting language, for sake of argument, and you have tools that are basically a very simple GUI editor that sits on top of that. Well, as soon as these tools can't accomplish something, then you need to go to Apex because you need the more power. Well, Apex being a simple scripting language, again, just for the sake of argument, now needs more features because it needs to solve for the problems that the higher higher level tools can't solve. And so now you're growing, expanding the functionality of Apex. And what he's saying is, well, now we're just reinventing the wheel. 
now we it should just be general purpose languages which have all these features built into them yeah because the, the problem has been with these with these drag and drop things is you know it's it's the problem is actually it's they're not creeping fast enough and so you you do hit that wall mm-hmm what or the, the constraints. Cliff? I mean, he Where said it himself. The constraints he they, that they put in to make it simple, to make it easy to use, sure. to make it easy to learn. Um, yeah, someone's paying for those constraints. I mean, someone. It, those well, are, I mean, those <laughs> constraints they they exist so that you don't do anything crazy. Yep. But yet you'll hit those walls because you're trying to do something crazy, and so mm-hmm. now you need to go to a different tool. Yep. Um. Well, I get where was I going with that? So. Yeah. So you hit that. Do people call it the apex cliff? Is that what they call it? Because you have to then jump oh, to maybe. apex. Maybe. I think that's what they. I think I've heard people call it an apex cliff. So you know, you get a, you get so far in process builder, and then you really, you know, at the last minute, you know, again, when you're up against your deadline, you realize you're stuck and you can't finish this thing in process mm-hmm. builder, and so you got to redo it all in in some other some other way. Um, but James was talking about, you know, if this was like a DSL that was built on top of a good general purpose programming language, then at least you could, you could break out of that. You could break out of that DSL for like more complicated use cases, or if you need to do something real specialized that the DSL didn't support, and you've got that general purpose programming language there. So Salesforce doesn't really have that exact mechanism, but I, I think they will with Evergreen. But they might. But what I where I was going with that it was I do think they have provided an interesting escape hatch in the form of what do they call them? Executables? No. Uh, uh, when you want to call like Apex from your invocables? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Isn't that kind of an escape hatch? It is, because it allows you to, from your GUI tool to call that lower-level code. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe that's an obvious thing. I just think it's kind of one of the, maybe they looked upon it, but one of the smartest aspects of these I mean, it, that is that is a good way of solving that problem. I think the problem is, is that people are building these large graphs of of flow components, or whatever you want to call them, um, not realizing that they really should have uh, engaged someone to, to make that particular piece of logic and invocable. It it really instantly when I saw I saw one of those someone posted one the other day in the Slack, and it immediately reminded me of, and I haven't seen this in a long time. I mean, I still see similar things, but I um, this is kind of earlier on in my career. Was working on a project, and I think I took something over. It was a, a project, and it had it was I think Java, I'm guessing, and there were there were two classes, so two files, two classes. One was literally called class one, and the other one was called class two. And they were both, I think, well over like 10,000 lines long. And I just thought, wow, this is someone who didn't either didn't have the right tools or didn't know how to use the tools. And when I see these... Or they did it in year 1999 when they paid programmers by the line. Yeah, <laughs> that could be. <laughs> I, some, a lot of managers still haven't figured out that that's a bad idea. To, that, that's a bad <laughs> metric. Are you going to pay me by... You're going to judge me by the number of lines of code. All right. Okay. I can, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> tell you, tell me how you'll measure me and I'll tell you how I'll perform. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, when I see these, these flow, these where like eat, I mean, it's so zoomed out that like each object on the, on the flow thing, it's like, it's, a it's, it's, like, a, it's like a couple of pixels on your screen. Yeah. I'm just like, that's someone who didn't know how to use the right tool for the job. And that's really unfortunate because someone sunk a lot of time and resources into that. And even if it does kind of work, I mean, the problem is your bus factor on that. What happens when that person gets hit by? But no one's going to be able to take that over. I mean, that's well, just not such even the a bus mess. factor. That same person a month from now is going to have a hard time. Oh, yeah. no, that's I write code today that I'm that I go back and go, crap, why did I do that? It made sense at the time, but I go back and go, and what was I thinking? Yeah. I cannot figure this out. Yeah. 
I mean, that's you're always going to have some of that. But but I have the advantage of debugging tools that I can step through, so that helps. But you know, it's like any, anything to avoid ha- having to having to deal with someone who can write, you know, some Apex. Heaven forbid. Well, you we, know, developers, we stink, and we're not. So we so. don't have any good social uh, experience and yeah. stuff. So. So I think, let's see, where am I at? Low code. Here's another low code thing. It's really easy to get started. It's really designed for uh, teaching kids. But as you get into it, you hit a ceiling. And then you can't go any higher. And then what do you do? Well, you have to go switch to a different world and rewrite all your code. That was um, Chris Latner. We've definitely had to rewrite some flows and process builder into code. That was on the uh, Lex Friedman podcast, I think, if I remember Mm -hmm. correctly. And uh, Chris Latner, he's a guy, um, he created the LLVM. Mm-hmm. And I believe he was at Apple and was pretty much the creator of Swift. Mm. And then he left and maybe he's out of order. Worked at um, Tesla as their like main engineer or whatever. And I don't know what he does now. I'm not mm. actually sure. But super smart guy. I always listen to anything that where he's on. Lex Friedman, you ever, you heard of that guy? Mm. Or you ever listen to his podcast? Okay, so he's got a podcast. I think it's called the Lex Friedman Podcast. Um, and it's one of those uh, they're really long form, like three to four hours. Oh wow! And a lot of them, like you'll just want to, you won't be interested in because it, it'll be on some topic. Because Lex, guy Lex Friedman, he's like super smart. He's I don't even he's like a um super smart math guy. He's a developer. He's almost like a philosopher. He's just got such one of these. People that irritate you because they're so smart at so many different things. <laughs> um, so some of the shows he'll do, you'll be like, oh, I just have no interest in that. But some of them will be like, oh, I really want to hear that conversation between Lex and this certain person or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's one of them. Um, let's see. Where are we at? Let's get back to marketing. So remember when James and, and uh, Bruce were talking about... Um, you know, the, some of the problem with some of the low code stuff is the marketing people get a hold of it and then whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. This is, I think, a continuation of that, of that conversation. Uh, oh, here we go. And so we've been burned before, so that's made us even more risk averse. We've been burned changes. many times. Many times. I mean, there was, and, and it's, uh, you know, you get a sense of the smell of this thing. Do you feel like we've been burned, John? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. This no, yeah. is why I'm skeptical of the low code you know thing is because it it it, well i mean on one side it's like sure a system that allows you to put together um an application with less effort i'm all for that yeah but when the marketing people get excited about it it just stinks (laughs) that's the red flag it it is the red with any technology when the marketing people get excited about it oh man run away uh, kinda. It's just it. I, let's just say it's worrisome. You yeah. know, I mean, the last time I really saw it was the uh, the AI revolution in the '90s, which yeah. nobody remembers because it wasn't. Yeah. And <laughs> SOA, man. Oh, still there. got so excited to SOA. have that term. SOA. So you need your SOA. <laughs> oh, and you're so oh, uh, well. And then they also had. Um, yeah, they, they RA. We got excited about RAs. Well, and back then, that client job? server was a big thing. You know, yeah. and it's like that was through the marketing three-tiered really applications. Like a term yeah. that's kind of stuck around, though. It's like they find that term HTML5, Web 2.0. So, uh, like, it's a package. It says we have this thing. You want it. And there's so much value you need to rewrite into this. Thing. And that is all packaged in that, that term. Full stack. And 
Yeah. Burned by marketing is the name. Is of that there such thing as a full stack Salesforce developer? I, I guess. Uh, we'll talk about what a Salesforce developer is here in a minute. If I do, I have that on my list. God, I hope I do. Anyway, continuing. Marketing is actually figuring out what the customer needs, and and it's gotten polluted to the point where it's basically well, and even a good marketing is figuring out what the customer needs. I like that definition. It's not bad. Yeah. Salesperson is someone who figures out what his customer needs and whether it's a good fit and doesn't just push whatever product that they have. Yeah. So, but that's all gotten biased in the interests of. Well, I think the money. sad part. <laughs> yeah. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Pretty much. It. Yeah. I think the sad part is that both those roles are closer to the customer than anybody who can figure out what they need. I know. But in their quest to sell that customer something, they. Uh, misrepresent features and technology to meet that client's needs versus answering whether or not it does or not. I also feel like that's been happening since the day, day one of sales and marketing. Don't you though? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, isn't that where the term snake oil, but it doesn't, it, it? It, it does, but it, uh, I guess a good company knows how to, how to turn that market research into, into something realistic, but I don't know. It seems more than more than more often than not, it feels like we're lied to by marketing. Mm, yeah, by the song and dance. Yep. All right. Like the builders are building the application. The builders, not the developers. Like no, right. No one uses that. Right. At AWS, yeah. everyone that writes yeah. code is a builder, and it's like no one. I'd never say so. That to just to string it all together, if we were using this language, the AWS builders are writing the code on their Macs that have Apple Silicon in it. And it's like... He's talking about like words that people just don't don't use. Like he's like, there was this whole pre-conversation about like Apple Silicon. It's like, that's such a weird word to call that. Why would you, why are they calling it that? It is weird. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but also calling people who develop on AWS, calling them builders. It's, he's like, this is just, people don't say that. That's just so weird. <laughs> who would ever speak this way? Why, why are these companies forcing this yeah, weird tortured yeah. language on <laughs> Oh. You can count Salesforce and developers on that one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Coders, builders. What what other words have they used for us? I don't know. Uh, I think we're going we're going we're going back to um, the happy path here. And do people even do agile anymore? <laughs> I need that as a clip. Just that right there. I. You will they talk about it? Yeah, <clears throat> they certainly talk about it. I mean, and, and it's like they sure do, don't they? John? I've never really. Yeah. I mean, there's Scrum, there's Agile, yeah, Scrum, but it's yeah. but it's Scrum. Scrum feels to me like it's retreating from solving the the more difficult people problem. It's yeah. saying, okay, well, we'll just focus on how we get our code out. That's my impression. I'm not a Scrum master, so I can't yeah. tell for sure. Um, uh, I'm not a certified Scrum master. I guess I could say <laughs> I'm a Scrum master, just not certified. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a technical architect. I'm just not certified. <laughs> I, I think when, when these, these uh, frameworks cross into the realm of ideology, it, it, it stops solving problems and becomes a, a money-making business. Yeah, I, well, Scrum is definitely a money... I mean, there's... Yeah, it's a, definitely a money-making operation. I used, to, I used to kind of support Scrum, but I think it was back in the day when just because of constraints on technology, how, how things work DevOps-wise and everything, the kind of the iteration model or uh, what is the sprint model kind of work? Well, I think iterations are a good thing, but I, I, there's there's a lot of ceremony in there that that has to exist to, to support it, and that seems a little 
little too ideological to have that. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually think the, the rationale, and I'd, I don't know, you, we, not, we could probably argue on a whole show about this, yeah. but the rationale for, for iterations is largely gone. Um, we needed, it, back in the day, you know, deployments were very expensive. You had to get a lot of people involved. So, you, you know, you, let's, let's work for two or six weeks, and then we'll deploy it. Mm-hmm. And we'll do our dog and pony show and we'll have our retrospective and then we'll bring in the stakeholder for all this stuff and we'll mm-hmm. do our, and then we'll do our next sprint, uh, like our grooming session, our sprint planning session, the, yeah. the, what are they, something game, the design game? No, the, the, the planning game. I can't remember. Yeah. The poker um, chips or cards or yes, whatever. Yeah. And there was just, there was, you're right. Ceremony is a great word. There was this, there's so much ceremony with scrum and it's interesting. I, we had a, I had a client recently was like, Hey, I'd, you know, like, like to consider doing agile on our next project. And I'd explain them like, well, we, we are actually the process that we're using that we, that is, is a, uh, lowercase a agile pro- uh, process. Um, we just, you know, we may not have as much ceremony as something like scrum has, but it's let's 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 talk about how we actually do how we've done this. And when you when you talk through it or draw it out, you realize that it's definitely not waterfall. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a you know, there's there's no extreme. I mean, in fact, if you Barry Hawkins had a great talk um, on waterfall, this was like this goes back years ago. But he what he talked to he was dispelling the myth that waterfall the the person that coined the term actually wrote the paper on waterfall. Um, what what we call waterfall now is not at all what he was describing. We've mm-hmm. really disparaged what the original term was supposed to mean. Um, so no one really does like pure waterfall, and no one does like zero documentation. Just everyone do whatever they want. Agile. There's it's a spectrum, and you're somewhere on that spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so I had to have this conversation. Like here, you know, kind of here's where we are on that spectrum, and here's what we do that are. You know, here's how we plan things. Here's how we mitigate risk. Here's how we're deploying and all these things that are, you know, they're agile-ish. Um, but just because you're not doing, you know, you're not getting 15 people in a room for 15 minutes every morning and doing a stand-up and, you know, you you don't have all these high ceremony things with names and titles and roles and whatever. That that doesn't mean that you're not doing agile. Just, you know, some you're doing some lowercase form of it. Yeah. All right, this clip continues. I don't know. <laughs> Certification. TM something. T- something yeah. like that. Um, Trademark. Yeah, something. I mean, and that's just that's just my sense of it. I could be I could be wrong, but it seems to me like the how do we improve the communication between the people who want the stuff and the people who build the stuff. It's, so we, it doesn't seem like in the last, let's say, 20 years, we've done much to address the cultural, collective productivity of development teams. Um, not that I'm aware of. Have we even acknowledged where the problem is? You know, we've done things like forced ranking. You know, Remember that? Forced ranking? The stack ranking? Mm-hmm. Stank ranking. Yeah. Oh, uh, started with Jack Welch, or that's who I blame it on. And then Microsoft picked it, all these companies. Does anyone still do that? Not that I know. Yeah. But what about the point about, um, you know, or have we even acknowledged, like, all these kind of the people, communication, and cultural issues on projects? Have we even, have we even acknowledged that they're there? Because I, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think some, certainly, certainly a lot of organizations have, but so many haven't. It's like, you guys don't have a technology problem. You just have people problems. You have communication problems. You have culture problems. Mm-hmm. You know, but but wh- whose job is it to define that? I mean, it has to come from internal. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it all... I mean, you talk about our role in implementing a CRM package. We can go in there and say, yeah, this is a communication problem, but that's not going to solve it. No, and, and, and often, our, I mean, our, our scope is not, we're going to solve all your cultural right. problems. Our, we, have a, we have more of a defined scope than that. And, and Although we do try to solve it within that scope. We do, we do. And if it's enough of a problem, we'll, you know, we can bring it up and deal with it. But I figure consultants that make more money than us get paid to do to to do those more cultural things that come in with their I want to be like pretty, a Tony Robbins consultant right just know, go and I'm, just talk that's what I'm talking about yeah. and make people walk on fire and just get millions of dollars yeah. no I mean I've seen these consultants that do that kind of thing and that's you know they come in and it's you know eight hundred to fifteen hundred dollars an hour <sighs> um, and they do those types of things it's it, big companies feel like they got to spend money on that kind and of I stuff. respect the game yeah I, I I don't have the personality for it but man that'd be nice yeah. Right. You know, unfortunately, most people, I th- well, who knows? I, I don't know how many companies are still thinking in those terms. But because um, it's much harder to think in terms of, oh, well, this group magically is good at what they do. And so we don't understand it. And so we shouldn't try and control it. I mean, the whole point of management i think is to try and control things yeah and so that's those two things are just butting heads yeah is management's job to control things that that didn't land with me very well either yeah i think i think i feel like it's management's job to produce results but you know and i guess it depends on what kind of business you're in but in some cases i feel like the best management technique is just to put the right people in the right place in the right context and let them do their thing i've always found places that had that type of management style the hardest to to get anything done with yeah because they were more concerned about controlling and putting constraints on things than they were productivity and getting things done it was these guys are idiots i have to do everything for them so therefore in order to make my job easier you have to program this system to have all my rules in place so that they can't do anything but this yeah um it's like, uh, what was it, you know, t- um, t- Taylorism versus, oh, I don't know, um, whatever, some more modern person on management philosophy. Yeah, I mean, my philosophy on these, these applications, these tools, is they should be productivity tools, not, not enforcement tools, not management tools, but um, management signs the checks. Yep. Management gets what they want. Okay. Um, this next one, this is really interesting. I, I, <laughs> I did a little bit of uh, production on this one. I've got two two versions of this clip. This is um the oh wait was it the strategery strategery what's this website called Ben Thompson do you know you know this guy I've heard you talking about him before okay so he's talking about a company I'm not going to tell you what company it is that's probably obvious I mean it's obvious this is just a little game okay but every time he mentions the company name I bleep out the company okay because I wonder how how easy it would be to substitute other companies. And almost like a Mad Libs thing. Okay. And would fit this description. Sounds fun. Yeah. We worry about these things. We talk about these things. But at the end of the day, what's our number one priority? Our number one incentive is growth. And we always pursue that. It's basically what that article was, was saying in the priority stack that growth always ends up on top. And that just has real implications. And, you know, I would say that I don't know if growth is still on top or if it's more about engagement, just like sort of keeping people on the platform because at this point so you know basically everyone's already on but maybe those are the same thing i don't know there's different ways to think about it i wrote about this i think a couple weeks ago where i was less worried about 
in part because I felt the profit motive was more of a check. And you were always concerned about King Mark in a way and being beyond that. And what sort of woke me up to that was that article he wrote about building global community. He's basically setting up as this supranational thing that's it's about like are we going to solve global warming you know i mean that's a bit of a simplification but it was like setting up as this good for the world sort of thing and to me that was very alarming and it was alarming in part because i feel better about a company that's sort of sheerly profit motivated because there's a certain predictability and a way of thinking about the way that they're going to approach things that has a natural sort of check on it, right? Whereas in this case, if that's not the motivation, you're really devolving into one person is deciding things without any sort of accountability. I played a different game, sorry. Okay. I inserted curse words. Oh. <laughs> it actually worked. Uh, yeah, I guess that the it got given away. <laughs> But um, at first I was thinking AWS, when he, especially when he said platform and everyone's on it. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's AWS. But then he, he mentioned the M word. Yeah. I, I had to leave Mark in there just because. He should have bleeped you know, it. Huh? He should have bleeped it. I know, it. but I, I mean, if you listen to that back again and just think Salesforce every time, plug that in there, it's remarkably, fits remarkably well. That's why I had to leave. Uh, what do you say about something Mark? Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Yeah. I'll leave that in because it's funny. It fits. Wait a minute. I'm confused now. Was was that about Salesforce? No, but it totally could have been. Listen, I mean, we worry about these things. We talk about these things. But at the end of the day, what's our number one priority? Our number one incentive is growth. And we always pursue that. It's basically what that article was, was saying in the Facebook priority stack, oh, that Zuckerberg. growth always ends up on top. Oh. And that just has real implications. And, and again, listen to this again. At the end of the day, what's our number one priority, our number one incentive is growth. It is absolutely my dream, and I'm dedicated to being the fastest to 10 billion. Oh, so and that was good. It just all fits. That. It, it all is fits. basically what that article was, was saying through that. Oops, is basically what that article was, was saying in the Facebook priority stack that growth always ends up on top. And that just has real implications. And, you know, I would say that I don't know if growth is still on top or if it's more about engagement, just like sort of keeping people on the platform because at this point so i mean the platform you know just yeah that that's you know, and, everyone's and, already on i mean it fits it for different reasons and different ways but it's it's funny how this what everything he Facebook? said fits but quite maybe those are the same thing i don't know there's different ways to think about it i wrote about this i think a couple weeks ago where i was less worried about facebook in part because i felt the profit motive was more of a check and you were always concerned about king mark in a way king mark king like mark that. anyway i don't know well, it's funny that the, the the whole conversation around prioritizing growth, because uh, because uh, one of the one of the lessons to be learned from this book I'm reading uh, around DevOps is the fact that that the company has the fake company has been prioritizing features, new features, new features, new features over paying down that technical debt. Yeah, to the point where profiles what? Yeah, <laughs> to the point where it, they're they're hitting a point of no return where they can't they can't do anything. The system's locked. Yeah. Yep. Okay, uh, next. The takeaway from McCord and Hastings and other Netflix executives was that laying people off can be good for the company. And more than that, Netflix was a team, not a family. So it wants to swap out the players it has for better ones whenever it can. I mean, this is kind of a, a cruel take or whatever, but um, I, do, I do think that, that treating your, your, your employer as your family is a little, a little dangerous. No, I do too. I mean, it's... 
I prefer it to be a little less personal that way. Yeah. I mean, it's not that, you know, it's, I don't know. Because the thing is, like, you know, family is family. Family is forever, right? Whereas business, it's, I mean, people come together for business when their mutual interests align. Mm-hmm. And that changes over time. Family doesn't work that way. And I just, I'm not sure. I just, I've never thought that was a great, yeah. you know, comparison or whatever. I didn't either. And Netflix clearly does not. I mean, they're, they're of the, I would say of the, like the modern tech companies, they're the, seem to be one of the more ruthless ones. Mm. Um, there's a, there's a podcast called the land of the giants. And I think it's a multi season thing, but I think the most recent season was on Netflix. And that's where, I think that's where this came from. And, uh, it's really interesting, but they, they do go into, I mean, in fact, one of these, like this real senior person basically fired themselves. Because they realized they were not the best person for that role anymore. And they had, the, I think they went to Reed Hastings, like, I, I think I've got to fire myself. And Reed's like, yep, you need to, you need to fire yourself. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, was, was, he has a, his recent book was, was talking about that kind of philosophy that, you know, it wasn't the question of how, whether or not you should keep someone. It's a question of whether or not you would fight to keep that person. Yeah. Yeah. How hard would you fight to keep that person? And if you wouldn't fight very hard, then it's time for them to go. And it's, I mean, and and it's, it sucks to, and this is why I like personally just, y'all should always just should be prepared, you know, because the only thing, what do they say? The only thing you can guarantee about a job is that one day you'll lose it or it'll stop or whatever, you know, you won't won't have it anymore. So don't stress about firing me though. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. I'm trying to prepare you, John. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to give you some advice here. Jay said he wanted to hire me. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, you should, I mean, y'all should you always should be. This is like advice I give to my younger self and to my kids and anyone really, which is like always try to be prepared financially so that you have. You always want to be able to have choices, and when you don't have, when you're stuck because you don't have choices because you haven't prepared yourself, that's that's really it's not good for you. It's not good for your employer. But you know, similar is, you know, if your if your employer if you're in a situation where your employer wouldn't fight for you, it's it's not good for your employer, and it's also really not good for you because because that, that means you're 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 not optimizing what you can do, the value you can deliver because yeah. you're in a sub and it might not even be your fault. It just could be the business change. Maybe, you know, something's happened or, or whatever, something you're not interested in anymore, but you know, you are in a situation where you're not, li- you're not de- delivering up to your potential and it's just not good for you. And you're not, yeah. you know, so I know it's kind of a general thing, but um, yeah. So those are my clips. I have, I have a bunch of, so I've taken a lot of those and condensed them down to the clips that can live on the soundboard. Um, and you didn't do a montage. And I could, I can do a montage right now. <laughs> but here's, and some of them are not from any of these other ones. But here's a good one. Namespaces are one honking great idea. <laughs> are they? Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's oh, I did make a clip of this. And do people even do agile anymore? <laughs> I love that. Here's a good one. You know, right now we're like ninety-five percent there. Uh, but aren't we always here's a good one why would you need to make trailhead if the platform was so easy to use (laughs) (laughs) um i have to give Uh, credit there i think that was um uh what's that podcast app it's i think that was from app etc uh-huh have you seen that the the podcast yeah yeah yeah. that's like a salesforce podcast yeah it's from friends friends of the show yep uh no I've, i've been enjoying that one uh, of course, I'm gonna, I got to end the show with this one. This episode of the Michelle Obama podcast <laughs> is brought to you by Salesforce. <laughs> I need to sub in the Good Day Sir podcast somehow. Do you think I can do that? <laughs> no, <laughs> in no, my, no. my editing skills? 
No. Oh, here's one. It's really easy to get started. It's really designed for uh, teaching kids. But oh, as you get into this. it, you hit a ceiling. Yeah. Teaching kids. Who would ever speak this way? <laughs> the AWS builders are writing the code on their Macs that have Apple Silicon. <laughs> See, I wanted those on the soundboard, both those, but I knew I had to play the longer thing so that, so that everyone has context on... I want to know, I know how, how those AWS guys got a hold of Apple Silicon so early. Silicone? Silicone. I'm not going <laughs> to not say it. I'm going to say it that way. It's in my brain. It's habit. Uh, what is this one? A Salesforce developer, in my mind, is anybody who is configuring the Salesforce platform. Oh, <laughs> I think that... If I'm not a developer anymore again. No, you're not, I guess. I mean, you configure, I guess. I mean, if you if you are changing ones and zeros on Salesforce's hard drive somewhere, you're a you're a developer. You're a Salesforce developer. This one this one may be the best one. I've been meaning to go back and find this and clip this for forever, not forever, maybe a year. I don't know how long it's been. Ready? Mm-hmm. I'll settle down. <laughs> Do you remember that? No. Uh, you were going on about something. That's when we had Chuck on, and Chuck said that to you. Oh really? Yeah, he said I'll settle down. <laughs> I'll settle down. So I got to keep that one handy. I must have missed him saying that. I must have been on a major rant. You just didn't hear him. Yeah, you didn't. You just, you blew right over him. Yeah. <laughs> so here's a camp boot camp on tech. Now we're going to charge you out at grossly irresponsible rates for yes. your skill set. <laughs> grossly irresponsible rates. For I got six weeks of C++ training. So 300 bucks an hour. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um... Nice one, John. Don't comment bad code. Rewrite it. But the comments. No, I just think the code's bad. I put comments. Let's see. What's I that? don't think there's any oh. computer program which surpasses a six-month-old child in terms of comprehension of the world. That's interesting. It's not too hard to become a millionaire if you can get a reputation in machine learning, and there'll be all kinds of companies that will be willing to offer you the moon because they right. they think that if they have AI at their disposal, then they can solve all kinds of problems. That was either Richie or Cunningham. I can't remember. Uh, the, the whole machine learning and AI stuff thing. I mean, I know in the clips it was going back in time. So the days when, and I, I remember those days, and they weren't called AI, they weren't called machine learning, they were called smart apps. Your apps oh, had to be smart. smart. They were called smart. I remember that. Smart um, apps. Yeah. Didn't That's Microsoft what had that? They yes. Had, yeah. That all came about from that, that initial AI revolution. It was, they were called smart apps. Mm. They were smart. Smart ass. And now, yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and now we've replaced the smart with artificial intelligence and now yeah. we've replaced artificial intelligence because it means nothing anymore with machine learning in, in an attempt to try to define that a little bit better well yeah so i mean i do think that this we're in a different situation now than we were with the previous ai winter um i think i mean obviously things are better they're more capable but one thing that's not fair is that these companies are taking stuff that ranges somewhere between basic statistics and machine learning, mm -hmm. which obviously are very two different things, but both of those are being called AI, right, or AGI, yeah. right, which is just not the case. Uh, okay, got a few, got a few more little quips, little short quips, and then and we'll be done. Oh, that thing's dead. Guess it's time to get some new skills, programmers. <laughs> That's from the Stack Overflow podcast. <laughs> oh, this is a great one. The clickety clackety. Oh God, it feels so good. <laughs> 
<laughs> I like that. Uh, one. That's good. We should start every show with yeah, that one. Uh, just add it to the beginning. Oh God, it feels so good. Oh, <laughs> uh, and here's here's one we complain about. This was. I mean, I mean, imagine it. Clickety clay. Oh, it feels so good. And then da na 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 na. Yeah, that's how you start every show from now on. Okay. Um. This is. Uh, oh yeah. This is this is something we complain about with Salesforce and the news media sometimes. Same story. Only they just changed the dateline. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, John, I can't tell you how many, how many. It's such a slow news cycle, and they're kind of redoing all these articles on Benioff and and his decision making and his yeah. process and yep. why he started the company yeah. and just flooding with all these kind of really oh, yeah. old rehashes. Yes, just to keep him in the news. And some of it is what's it called when like you 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 write a story to try to go back and fit things in the past or whatever. Like, there's so much of uh, that now. Yeah. It, yeah, Benioff did some podcast. I didn't listen to it, but it was um, I saw it come up in it was actually a news article. But he did some podcast recently. Um, hmm. I don't remember the name of it. I guess we got to find that and do some clips. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, that was a lot of work, John. I tell you what, man. Well, I appreciate the yeah, work. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> it was better than my topics. I should. I need to. I need to break that up and just do you know not let it pile up so much so that it's you know a few minutes here and there not. I have to take a whole half of my day to prepare clips. That's true. If you can just kind of keep them there and then we can do another clip show, that would be nice. Yep. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, we mentioned the email address. Um, we, we need to get rid of a lot of stickers, so please don't be shy. We've given a lot away, but I mean, we have, you know, uh, definitely there are lots of, I'll put it this way. I think we ordered a thousand stickers. And mm-hmm. even if we gave all those away to one listener, there are still thousands of listeners. I think who would not have a sticker. So I know. So they're all out there. You guys are all out there listening. You need to uh, send in your request for stickers. Info at gooddaystarepodcast.com. You can also uh, send us questions that we can read on the show or not or whatever or topics or complaints. Um, we also I mentioned the Slack earlier, but we have a Slack a Slack team where uh, this listeners and uh, community members of this podcast get together and and do things that you do on Slack. Uh, and the way you get into that is by going to gooddaysirpodcast.com and clicking on community. Uh, what else, John? That's it? Yeah. Can't think of anything. S- share us on the socials. Spread the word. Um, oh, reviews. Or just click the stars, right? And add the reviews, because that helps in the Apple, at least in the Apple world, they say it does. Yeah, I'm not sure how that works, but yeah, that works. Uh, there's also a new write a review link on our website. Um, you can click on that. It just gives it just goes to our mm. review aggregator who has some tips on how to write reviews. So. Okay, you did a little work there. Put a link on our website. Put a link. Well, that was hard. <laughs> I charged you forty hours for that, by the way. Wow, forty. Yeah, oh, that's the most at expensive a, at three hundred an hour, by the way. <laughs> and the invoices due on receipt. Oh my gosh, you're a tough customer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anything else to get off your mind, John? This is a kind of a long one. So, yeah, no. Let's let's uh, get it done so I can get home and get some dinner and then work all night. Yeah. <laughs> Not supposed to do that. Well, I don't work enterprise. I work consulting. I know. Don't have a cushy enterprise job anymore. No, I don't. <laughs> and to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.